Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on cage.press.com. I'm Danny Gubby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC is in Jacksonville this weekend for, get this, UFC Jacksonville. We'll be breaking down the main event between Aliyah Tapuria and Josh Emmett, as well as a couple other of our favorite fights on this main card. And we're going to be giving you an underdog in a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat. Plus, we're going to be talking to two of the fighters on this card. Well, actually, one fighter on this card and one fighter who fights next weekend. Kicking off the show this week is the one fighting next weekend, Grant Dawson, who is talking a little bit about fighting Demir Izmagulov. And then later on in the show, we're talking to Trevor Peak, who is very excited to be talk- fighting in Jacksonville. Now, before we get to any of that great content, I do have to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Game Up Heart Hydration. Welcome to the game. Welcome to Game Up Heart Hydration, the new ready-to-drink sports beverage with adult drink fun. Make no mistake, this is no sports drink. It's a refreshing adult beverage with 4.9% alcohol by volume, a special blend of electrolytes, and way more than a hint of flavor. It's a drink that's, well, very drinkable. Should you stretch before you drink it? Well, it shouldn't hurt. Now, Game Up is not a hard seltzer because hard seltzers just don't work out. Game Up plays in a league entirely of its own. It comes in all your favorite sports drink flavors, orange, lemon, lime, fruit, punch, grape, and it hits all the right numbers at 110 calories, 1 gram of carbs. It's gluten-free. It's got no added sugar. And Game Up is for MMA mallers, urban fitness freaks, peak bagging badasses, tough mother mothers, beer league brothers, hot yoga hotties, high handicap hackers, committed cornhole huckers, or even just professional poolside posers who game up and get after it. Ask for Game Up wherever you buy beer or hard seltzer and bring it on home for the team. Game Up brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me now is Grant Dawson, who fights Demir Ismagulov at UFC Vegas 75. That fight is on July 1st. So, Grant, I wanted to start here. You know, you've had a ton of success in the UFC, and unlike a lot of people who have had a lot of success in the UFC, you you still managed to change things up, right? Like, you, you started at 145 pounds, up to 155 pounds. You started at one gym, now you're at ATT, despite the success. So... I guess maybe one at a time. Let's start with the gym move. What led you to decide to just sort of not be satisfied despite good results? Uh, Man, I think it was one of those things where I felt like the gym that I was at did a really good job of getting me to where I was. But I just I felt like I outgrew the gym. And it was one of those things where I had seen the same people and the same mats in the same room for eight years. And I was just feeling burnt out, and I was just feeling like I needed a change. And then I tried a week up at American Top Team and and quickly realized that the level of training partners at American Top Team was definitely something that I needed in my life every single day. And so after that first practice, I made the decision to move. And when I did move, there was no no regret. There was no, uh, uh, did I make the right decision? I know I made the right decision. I think it's showing in my performances. Absolutely. And, and then again, so, you know, you, you mentioned the move gyms and just not being satisfied, but how, how about the choice to change divisions? I mean, I know some of that is probably your body just getting bigger as you age, but 
Was it just that, or was there a reason why 155 pounds is a better place for you? Yeah, that wasn't a decision I made. That was a decision my body made. And it was one of those things where I was having full camps and still, you know, I, I missed weight against uh, Derek Minner when I fought at 145. And then I had a catch weight of 150 when I fought Nadnar Armani. And uh, I promised myself that if I missed weight again, I would move up. And I didn't miss weight, but man, it was one of the hardest cuts to 150 I've ever had in my entire life. And so I knew that 145 was out of the, out of the question. So we moved up and I was super worried about the size difference, but being at American top team too, I've also put on a lot more size. Um, I'm in a really good strength and conditioning program and I'm just, I'm getting older, man. I'm 29 years old. I'm starting to hit my man body. I think that I'm a few years away from my prime, but uh, I'm definitely getting bigger. So th then I, I obviously got to ask too, then if you feel like you're getting bigger, the weight cuts were hard to begin with. Do, do you feel that your weight cuts now are equally as hard or is it because, you know, you're on this strength and conditioning, you're working with ATT, it's now been easier for you? No, they're about as equally as hard. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. We're not bullshitting there. We're just, it, it sucks still. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's horrible, man. I'm, I'm so over all of it. <laughs> well, so then, so let's be candid here then. You know, you're a guy who started at 145 pounds. You hit your man body. You started to bulk up on top of all of that. Are we talking about possibly a welterweight run no. at this point in time? Not, not in no. near future, but. No, <laughs> no, no, I'm not, no, I'm not going to 70. Uh, those, those guys are absolute units. Uh, for me, if I go to 70, it will be because I haven't, uh, I've reached the journeyman status and the, the chance of a world championship is off the table. Um, I, I don't think that I can win a championship at 170. Uh, Leon Edwards, you got Leon Edwards, Usman, um, Kamzat Shemayev. Those guys are so big and so good at what they do. I just, I, I don't think my odds of winning a UFC championship go up if I make 170. So my best chance of winning a world championship is at 155. I think I'm I'm knocking on the door, and especially after a good performance against Demir Ismagulov, I think that it's really knocking on the door for a top five guy to show that I can compete at the top level. Well, and I'm glad you started talking about the rankings a little bit because I'm interested in your take on this because, you know, you are a guy who's rattled off win after win after win after win, uh, granted with one draw squeezed in the middle there, but win after win after win. You're 3-0-1 in the lightweight division since you've decided to move up. All three wins are finishes and brutal ones at that, especially the Leonardo Santos one. Were you surprised that this wasn't a ranked name to begin with? This this was Demir Ismagulov. It wasn't somebody in that top 10? No, I don't think so. I think a lot of people are... are holding on to the uh, Ricky Glenn fight. And I'm going to be honest with you, man, I don't blame him. I, I was, I knew that I needed to make a change. Um, and I, so I bonused against Leonardo Santos. And after that fight, I told myself, if I truly want to be a world champion, I need to make a change. And instead of using that 50 K to move to a better gym, I decided to buy a house and uh, propose to my girlfriend. I don't regret the proposing part, but I definitely regret buying the house part. And uh, so then I fought Ricky Glenn. It was the co-main event. I was a minus 550 favorite, and I blew it. I, I absolutely uh, shit the bed. And, and that's okay, man. Not everything's a lesson. Sometimes you just fail. And uh, it really let me know that, hey, 
if you want to be a world champion, if you want to get to these co-main event spots and these main event spots and perform, you have to be in the best room that you can find every single day. And so that's what I did. I moved to American Top Team. I got my ass kicked for a year and a half now, and uh, I'm, a, I'm a better fighter for it. And this is the perfect fight for me to prove that I can handle these co-main event spots, being an underdog uh, and competing against somebody who is in the top, uh, he's, he's number 12, he's in the top 15. You could very easily put him into the top 10 if, uh, if he hadn't a loss to Armin. So I think this is a great fight for me to show that I can handle what is about to come in my future. And I know you mentioned in there, too, the co-main event slot, right? Right now, this is slotted to be the co-main event at UFC Vegas 75. So does that take extra weight for you? I know some people don't give a crap about their card placement, but some people, you know, they really hang their hat on the idea that they're the co-main event or the main event. No, yeah, man, I, I definitely think that it's a, it's a good thing. It's not, it's not so much, you know, it, it's a little extra pressure, but it's one of those things. I like that. I like that pressure. I like that, uh, you know, it, it would be weird if the number 15 guy in the world and the number 12 guy in the world were fighting each other and we weren't in a main event or co-main event spot. That would just be, be odd, right? So I, I'm really happy with the, with the position and it, it really gets me the offer, gives me the opportunity to show the UFC, show the fans, and most importantly to show myself that I can be put in these spots against high level competition and still perform. I love that. I love that. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the stylistic matchup of this fight, too, because if you look at you since you've come to this lightweight division, they've given you a lot of the same, it feels like. And granted, a little bit different, but a lot of the same. Leonardo Santos, a guy who who likes to do jujitsu. He's a jujitsu dude. You know, Jared Gordon, a guy who, you know, known for his wrestling, known for his submissions, uh, granted a tough boxer as well. But Mark Madsen, an Olympic wrestler, and now Demirius Magulov, who another guy who, you know, is is happy getting down with the wrestling, too. Do you feel like you've gotten a lot of the same kind of stuff that's coming at you? Or do you feel like, you know, the, they have enough differences in what they've done that you, you haven't been, you know, sort of beating down the same, you know, archetype every single time? I feel like it's different. I feel like Mark Madsen and Leonardo Santos were heavy, heavy grapplers. And, and Jared can grapple. He outgrappled Joe Selecki, who is a very good jiu-jitsu guy. So he has the grappling. But I think if you gave Jared Gordon his, uh, you know, his preferred where do you want to fight, it would be boxing. And then if you give uh, Demiris Magulov his choice of where we're fighting, I think his is boxing as well. And so I think it's one of these things where they're throwing test after test at me and seeing if I can do the same thing to everybody. And so far, I've been able to. And so you you expect Demiris Magulov here to try to avoid the ground with you at all costs. Is that sort of what you're expecting come uh, come fight night? I would be very, very surprised if Demir took a shot on me. All right. I, I like that. So this is usually the part of the interview where I ask for a prediction. So you, you think he wants to stand and train. How do you see yourself getting it done come July 1st? Man, I really think that this fight comes down to who is better at their game. I think Demir has got some really crisp boxing. He's got one of the best jabs uh, in the UFC. And I, I really feel like this is going to come down to who can implement their game and who has higher fight IQ. And it's one of those situations where we know what I'm going to do. We know what he's going to do. Who's better and who's got a better game plan going into it. And I really feel like I am the the smarter fighter. I feel like I am the better fighter on the ground. So it's one of those situations where I've just got to not get knocked out 
to 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 beat this guy. It's going to be really hard for not just him, but for anybody to outgrind me. You got to be a really big finisher to threaten me, and I just feel like he's not the guy to do that. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This has been Grant Dawson, who fights Demiris Magulov at UFC Vegas 75. That fight, once again, July 1st. Grant, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, brother. This has been a lot of fun. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Grant Dawson. I once again, I'm Dan. You're going to be freely joined now by my co-host, Shockwave, Dave Termonte. Dave, we're going to keep this quick talking about UFC Vegas 75 last weekend. I just got to ask, where on the span of great beatdowns of all time does the savage beating that Marvin Vittori took at the hands of Jared Cannonier fall for you? Uh, it's up there. It reminded me of one of those 1980s WWE jobber matches where, like, a local talent would just get his ass handed to him by a massive, you know, roided-up WWE superstar. It was not competitive. It was a fucking beatdown through and through. And it goes to show you that, you know, Vittori's one of those guys, man. I, I always feel he looks so good when he's not facing, you know, the very tippy top or a champion or what have you. But he's got it in him, man. I mean, he's one of those guys. I don't think he will ever beat Israel Adesanya, let's say. But, you know, if Israel Adesanya wasn't around, I, I feel like he could have been a champion. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, like, his first fight with Israel Adesanya was really close. Second one, less close. Uh, And and I'll just say, like, it it just feels like these guys are kind of in no man's land, right? Because Pajeda made Israel Adesanya look like he could be beat if you were an expert striker. And now we just have, like, a whole bunch of guys who we know aren't as good of a striker as, you know, as Pajeda or Adesanya. So, you know, it was a fun beat down to watch, I will say. It felt a lot like Max Holloway versus Calvin Cater, which we saw a little while ago. Um, But, yeah, like, I I don't think it solves anything in the middleweight division at the end of the day. You know, Kanadir winds up being the one who maybe gets his... His extra shot at Izzy and and gets torched too, but like you know, like it doesn't give me faith in either of these two. No, it didn't solve a thing. But I'll tell you what we're solving, and it's the mystery of who's going to win this weekend, who's the dog to play, and what's a parlay to play for UC Jacksonville. So let's get into it, Gumby. Our favorite segment on the show. It's fights, dogs, parlays for UC Jacksonville. But before we do bring that to our fans. Does anyone sponsor this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays? Absolutely. Fights, Dogs, and Parlays brought to you by Game Up Hard Hydration. Welcome to the game. Welcome to Game Up Hard Hydration, the new ready-to-drink beverage with sports drink flavor for adult drink fun. This is no sports drink. It's a refreshing adult beverage with 4.9% alcohol by volume, a special blend of electrolytes, and way more than a hint of flavor. It is very, very drinkable, and it comes in all your favorite sports drink flavors, orange, lemon, lime, fruit punch, and grape, and it hits all the right numbers at 110 calories, one gram of carbs, gluten-free no added sugar ask for game up wherever it is you buy beer or hard seltzer and bring it on home for the team all right we love it we love game up we love game up we love game up we all right let's get into this uh fun main event actually to be quite honest with you even though the odds might tell a different story of Ilya Tapatora Taporia a minus 350 the Georgian fighter has been Nothing short of amazing in the UFC, undefeated in the UFC uh, at 5-0 and and undefeated as a pro at 13-0. and He's coming off an arm triangle choke over Bryce Mitchell. Bryce Mitchell, impossible to submit, to put away, but he did it. He KO'd Ryan Hall. He KO'd Damon Jackson. He KO'd Jai Herbert. He is uh, very impressive and someone we had earmarked uh, early on as a prospect 
as a potential future champion, and we still feel that way, if not more so, you know, only a handful of fights into his UFC career. He's the minus 350 favorite. Josh Emmett is a plus 260 dog. He's coming off a triangle choke loss to Yair Rodriguez, but before that Yair loss, he had won five in a row. He's 16-3 and three as a pro. His only losses stand to Desmond Green all the way back at UFC 210 in 2017, a loss to Jeremy Stevens via KO, no real shame in that, back in 2018, and then this loss to Yair Rodriguez. Josh Emmett, always a live dog. Um, he has been a winner as a dog, even just in the five-fight win streak. He was a dog in four of those fights and he ended up winning them so always a live dog who you got yeah i think he's a live dog here uh and i don't love the price but i am going to gun to my head pick Aaliyah Tapuria here and and the reason is just like josh emmett is always kind of got that power factor there but i do worry about what it means for him to have to fight five rounds because i i think at his age i don't know that he can keep up with the pace of Tapuria. And then the other thing, too, is just like we saw the biggest issue for him in that fight with Yair Rodriguez was a speed disadvantage, right? We know he's got the power, but he certainly didn't have the speed to keep up with Yair Rodriguez. And look, I'm going to be honest with you. I actually think Aliyah Tapuria is actually a little bit better than Yair Rodriguez. I think he would beat Yair Rodriguez. And I think the speed here is going to be the issue again for Josh Emmett. So I'm going to go with Tapuria. I, I think he just outclasses him on the feet. And as he starts to sting him and beat him up. I think you're going to see his ground game take over because you know those Georgian fighters, they are deadly on the ground. I'm all over uh, Taporia here. I agree with everything you just said. From a betting perspective, I don't mind the odds on Emmett. I don't mind a prop Emmett by KO. You throw 20 bucks on it, you forget it ever happened. If it hits, you're happy. You're bragging on social media about it. But head-to-head, I like Taporia. Amanda Rebus is a minus 210 favorite to Macy Barber, plus 165 dog. Rebus coming off a win. Uh, she lost to Caitlin Chikagian before that. Uh, win, loss. So she's two and two in her last four. Macy Barber, albeit the dog, is on a four-fight win streak. Barber, very interesting career in the UFC. Debuted on Dana White's Contender Series, reeled off four wins in a row, but then ran into Roxanne Modafari and Alex Grasso, lost two in a row. That was back in 2021. She then reeled off this new four-fight win streak with wins over Miranda Maverick, Montana De La Rosa, Jessica I, a former title challenger, and Andrea Lee. But she finds herself the dog here. Who you got? I'm going to go with Amanda Hebas. Uh, I think, first of all, you know, you're, you're right about the win streak where she has technically won four in a row. She didn't win that Miranda Maverick fight, first of all. She definitely lost that fight. That was some real god-awful judging in, in that fight. And, I mean, there's an argument that Andrea Lee beat her, too. So, I, I mean, we could really be talking about her being two and four in her last six instead of four and two. Um, and then the other thing, too, is I, I just really love Amanda Hebas. I, I think Amanda Hebas is one of the more slept-on fighters uh, in any division, for that matter, because, like, Look, she went out there and beat Vanna Jandaroba. Jandaroba is a fighter who's now in the top five at, at strawweight. And yeah, she's gone up a weight class and she's dealt with, you know, Caitlin Chokagian and Vivian Arruyo. But I mean, she passed the Arruyo test. She's somebody who's gone in there and has beaten grapplers. She's bodied people who like to be bullies. You know, Randa Marcos, Paige Van Zant, Vanna Jandaroba. Those are people who like to get into the clinch and be a bully. And that's kind of what Macy Barber needs to do here to win. And look, I just don't think she could do it to Amanda Hebas. So, yeah, give me Hebas here. I like it. All right. Uh, 
Cody Brundage, a minus 210 favorite, to Cedricus Dumas, a plus 175 dog. Uh, Cody Brundage is actually coming off of a a two-fight losing streak right now. Uh, In the UFC as a whole, he's 2-2. Cedricus is coming off a loss uh, via guillotine to Josh Fremd. Uh, He did win on his Contender Series debut. So if you count Contender Series, which I guess you kind of have to, He's one and one in the UFC. He finds himself a plus one seventy five dog here. Does Dumas Brundage the minus two ten favorite? Who you got? Yeah, you're talking about Cody Brundage, a guy on a two fight losing streak, and he's taking this fight on seven days notice, and he's a negative two ten favorite. I think that's all you need to know about this fight, right? Because we saw Cedricus Dumas come out last time. The guy throws haymakers. He's got great knockout power. You can't take anything away from him in those regards. But the fact of the matter is, is Josh Frem took him down when he wanted to, any way he wanted to. And at the end of the day, that was enough to tire him out, make him look like he doesn't belong there, and finish him. I think Cody Brundage does exactly the same thing. Cody Brundage, big hands, great takedowns, strong as a bull, durable. You know, like, he's the worst nightmare for somebody like Cedricus Dumas. And, uh, you know, I think Dumas's original opponent was much more favorable for him. This one he's going to have a really tough time with, even if it's on short notice. Give me Cody Brundage by annihilation. I like it. Our parlay to play is Cody Brundage, a minus 210 favorite, and, and Gabriel Santos, a minus 250. They get you plus 107 odds. Break it down. Yeah, so as I mentioned, I love Cody Brundage. You know, the fact that he's a uh, only a negative 210 favorite here is kind of a gift because the fact of the matter is, is he should be like a negative 400 favorite. The short notice, all that stuff, bulking his odds up. So I'm going to pair him with Gabriel Santos. Look, Santos is 0-1 in the UFC, but really, I thought he beat Lerone Murphy in that fight. Um, and beating Lerone Murphy on like three days notice is nothing to laugh at. I think he's going to be way faster. He's going to hit way harder than David Onama. And I think as long as he keeps his feet, negative 250 is going to look like a silly price for Gabriel Santos. So give me those two together. Let's get plus 107. Our dog of the week is Philip Rowe, a plus 135 facing uh, everyone's favorite UFC veteran, Neil Magny. Yeah, I I, uh, I kind of love Phil Rowe in this spot, and I didn't think I was going to originally, but I went back and I looked at some of his other fights. His striking has really come around where he's using his length well, he's really fast, and, you know, he's naturally just a really great grappler. You know, like that that's originally how he sort of made his way into the UFC. Good jiu-jitsu, good work on the ground, and... You know, maybe that skill set doesn't sound like something that's going to beat Neil Magny. But then you remember, Neil Magny is a guy who has been able to beat up just about everybody he's beaten up by utilizing an absurd reach advantage that he has on everybody in the middleweight division. He's got an 80-inch reach, which sounds crazy for a 170-er. Guess what? Phil Rowe has an 80-and-a-half-inch reach. So this dude is just as lanky as, uh, as Neil Magny. And he's a little bit faster. Got a little bit better jujitsu, maybe. Look, I'm willing to take a stab at plus 135 here. So give me Phil Rowe. I like it. And that wraps up this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Let us know if we did you right or did you dirty with these picks. You can reach us at Top Turtle MMA on the social media. Gumby, we're having a party here. Let's not let it stop. What should we do next? So we're going to transition now to my interview with Trevor Peak, who talks a little bit about his upcoming fight. Granted, they have changed opponents for him, so we're going to have a, a little bit of an outdated piece there. But he talks about getting to fight in front of the live crowd and also throwing standing hammer fists. That's right. We get the answer about why he throws standing hammer fists. And we're going to get to all that great content for you right now. 
One quick editor's note before we get to the interview with Trevor Peak. This interview did have a little bit of technical difficulties uh, on the side of us, the recorder. When we went to record this interview, it actually sped up Trevor Peak's uh, sound quality just a little bit. So his voice wound up being twice as fast. We've slowed it down a little bit for you, but there are some glitches when he's talking. So we apologize for the sound quality ahead of time, but... Enjoy this interview with Trevor Peak. All right, and joining me today is Trevor Peak, who fights Victor Martinez at UFC Jacksonville. That fight is coming up this weekend. Now, Trevor, before we get to talking about all of the other good stuff that's coming up and whatnot, I got to ask you, the, the thing that is most pressing on my mind is that you're the only guy out there, the only guy in the UFC right now who's throwing standing hammer fists, and you're certainly the only guy landing them. Why is that such an effective weapon for you, and why is nobody else doing it right now? I don't know, man. I guess I'm unique. I mean, I just, uh, you know, I've been throwing them things for a good while now. It was, I originally started throwing them, you know, kind of like street fighting and stuff like that. And then eventually, you know, whenever I'll be doing backgrounds and stuff, I, I started throwing them just here and there. And I'm like, man, I can generate, you know, so much power. And, and I've all, often wondered whenever I'm throwing them, I'm like, I don't know if nobody utilizes these things. So, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it, man. I, I, I think I'll end up, you know, it'll kind of be like, you know, something that, you know, people will relate me with, the hammer fist. So I'm just, I'm excited that I've kind of got my own thing started. Well, you certainly do. Now, I got to ask, you've had head coaches. Now, we, we've talked before the last time you were on about how you started in the streets, fighting in the streets. But, but since then, obviously, you've had striking coaches, plural, so far. Has anybody not liked the idea or tried to stop you from throwing them? Uh, you know, they're a little concerned, I guess, about my striking coach, I guess a little concerned with them just because it leaves you so exposed, you know, at times. But, you know, ultimately, you know, he's talked about it, you know, a bunch of times since then. He, he, he wants to train me, but, you know, he also wants to leave, you know, them little special, unique things that I do. He wants to, you know, leave, leave them involved. So we've actually started working some combinations and, and including the, the tomahawk punch. <laughs> so, I mean, it's pretty cool, man. But, yeah, he, I, I can tell that he's a little concerned about it at times. Well, that's definitely understandable. Now, let, let's talk about your last fight, the TKO over Eric Gonzalez in your UFC debut. Goes picture perfect. You get the performance bonus. What did it feel like when the ref stepped in and you get your hand raised? Oh, man, I mean, just a dream come true, really. You know, a lot, a lot to take in. I even, you know, I was, I was pretty tired after that round, but I just had to walk over and find me a spot to sit down and kind of just... Taking in the moment, man, it was really overwhelming, but, you know, it was, uh, you know, a finishing fight like I did and everything, man, and it just, you know, it, it was just drinking come true, really. Now, you said in there that you were a little bit tired. Uh, was it Octagon Jitters? I, I know you've been in the Apex before, but this this was your first time under the UFC banner. A little bit, not, not near as bad as I had, like, with the Contender Series experience. You know, I, I kind of sort of... For the most part, the whole time we was at the apex and the back warming up, I felt pretty good and the nerves were solid. And then, you know, about 10 minutes before we went out, I kind of started giving myself nerves a little bit. And then I kind of just had to stop myself and, you know, you know have a conversation like, hey, man, let's just have fun. So I just, you know, just took, took a moment to stop myself and really just put it in my head that I wanted to make this moment as fun as I could. I was like, man, you're only going to baby one time in your life. You know what I mean? Like, just... Take this moment and have a good time, and an idea probably a little too much fun, man. I think that's a lot of the wildness coming from us, just being me, having fun. 
And you know, a, a lot of fighters who I talk to talk about their mental space and being locked in before a fight, but you, you might be one of the first I've heard talk about needing to have fun in there, or one of the few who've ever talked about needing to have fun in there. So how essential is that for you and what you do? Well, I mean, it's the same like it worked out pretty good this last time. You know, this, up until this last time, man, my last time, I don't know, three or four fights, I've been so consumed on the outcome and how I performed and, you know, just the end result that I've had and really taken time and had fun. I mean, don't get me wrong, I've had a blast, you know, winning and always fun, but... As far as in the fight and stuff, I've just I've been so like I said, I've been so invested in myself winning that I haven't really enjoyed it as much as, as I used to. And, and it's something like maybe stopping myself and you know just really grabbing the hold of myself and telling telling you know try to every time and, and then I worked out man I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to take that with me for the rest of my career man just always stop you know giving myself enough time to. I like it. Now, the, the biggest outcome of that fight was the win, of course. But now the second biggest was the performance bonus. 50K in your pocket, a huge change in salary for somebody like you. Did you have big plans for it? Did you did you do something or splurge on something? Or was this more of a squirrel it away for a special situation in the future? I'm just trying to, you know, get some things lined up for my future, man. Really, hey, it's, it's wonderful, but it really don't go with it for nowadays. So I'm just trying to put a little here and put a little there and trying to, you know, build myself a future. I definitely respect that. Now, we mentioned fighting in the Apex before, but but this one is not there. We are going live to Jacksonville where we've seen some pretty raucous crowds. Now, how excited were you when they said, hey, Trevor Peak, we want you fighting in front of a big live crowd. Yeah, man, I figured with my last performance being like it was, I figured that it would, that it would be able to get me in front of a crowd. And I just, I can't tell you how excited I am, man. But I said I did have a blast that I faced this last time, but since I started fighting, man, I've been blessed with just a massive support system. So, I mean, I've, I've had fans on the road with me, you know, I've fought here at home, and I've always got, you know, Several hundred people in the crowd, so you know, these last couple of experiences I've, I've been in the midst of my, my fan base, man. You know, Jacksonville's fairly close to home, so I've got a, I've got a pretty good group. I guess I'll have probably at least 200 people there chanting peaks, so I'm just ready to get out in front of that crowd, man. And they, they, the people think I'm wild at the apex, man, and they ain't saying nothing yet. <laughs> yeah. We'll be looking in there, man, for however long I'm in there, it's going to be exciting and violent. Now, you said it in there, close to home. Do you, do you got a lot of friends and family who are coming out for this one? Yeah, I think I have about 200 people there at least. You know, uh, maybe more, man. I don't, I don't know. The longer this thing is going on, the more I'm finding out who else coming. It's, it's going to be a pretty good crowd out there. I'm thinking I'll have enough there to influence everybody. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Next went to uh, we went to UFC Charlotte a few weeks back, man, and like go over there and you know go through the VIP and everything. And I got recognized a whole lot more than I thought I would, man. Which of course it was a UFC crowd that I was around, but man, I bet I took a hundred plus pictures while I was there. So I, I definitely, yeah, I'm getting out there, man. My name's getting bigger than, than I realized. I think. And how does that feel for you? Because, like like we said, you know, you were 6-0 and coming into the Contender Series. That was relatively recently. Now, we're, we're not that far from removed from that. Maybe, you know, not even a whole year removed from that. 
in hundreds of people want their picture taken with you. Can your brain even compute those facts right now? Like a couple of days ago, we were sitting in the house and we were eating, and I was just sitting in Chattanooga here, and I was just like, I'm the only UFC fighter in this whole thing. <laughs> I'll have a little moment like that, and I'll kind of be like, you know, wow, and it'll, it'll kind of hit me harder, but for the most part, I mean, it's still just, it's still just, it just blows my mind still. I mean, it, I, I hope I'm never used to that, man. It, it's, it's such a blessing, so unbelievable. That's awesome. Now, let, let's get to talking about your fight. You're fighting Victor Martinez, a guy who, uh, who who maybe doesn't have a lot of name value, especially for you, who's a guy coming off of a big KO. Were you expecting a bigger name than Victor Martinez? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know, really know what to expect. You know, I tried to, I tried to get on the UFC Charlotte card myself um, a few months back, and then um, I knew that it was targeted in late June, early July, and I didn't, at that point, man, I didn't really care who they put in front of me. I was just, I was ready to get back in there and kind of try to keep the hype around you for a while, and then I disappeared for a while, and, the, you know, the hype goes down, so I'm just trying to, Trying to keep trying to roll and keep it up the fan base and not keep one of them bombs. And Victor obviously mixes up his game really well. So let's talk about the fight stylistically. How, how do you feel about Victor Martinez uh, from from a style standpoint? Uh, he's got some things I'm not overlooking at all, man. He's not overlooking anybody. I'm trying for everybody. I'm trying for you know killer world champion. He's got some things he does really well, but. He also got, he's also got, you know, a few bad tendencies that I believe I can capitalize on. I believe I can do it really quick. Well, you kind of led me right to it here. This is always how I like to end these interviews. It's with a prediction. So let me know. How does this one end with Victor Martinez uh, come uh, June 27th? All right. Well, you're here to hear, folks. First, folks, this has been Trevor Peak, who fights Victor Martinez at UFC Jacksonville. That fight is on June 24th. Correct from my statement before. June 24th. Trevor, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsor, Game Up Hard Hydration, and remind you guys that you can check us out on Twitter or Instagram at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gubby Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will catch you then.